I'm starting a new sermon series on the foundations of our faith. The scripture says, if the foundation be destroyed, what will the righteous? In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19, the Bible says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you will choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So in this life, there's no gray area. You are either on the left or you are on the right. You are either good or you are bad. You are either a Christian or you are a non-Christian. You are either on the top or you are at the bottom. It's nothing like I'm in the middle. Middle is where. And I'd like you to understand that our Christian foundations are very important. There are certain basic foundations in our Christian work. If we miss them, we will live an unbalanced life. And when we live an unbalanced life, things will not work for us. Praise the Lord. So he says, I said before you this day, choices. Life is filled with choice. And laying a foundation of our Christian faith, the power of choice and our thought life is key. Praise the Lord. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a psychologist. She says in her book, Switch on Your Brain said, As we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. What is she trying to say? She's trying to say that the way we think is important. Do you know that if you start thinking that you are sick, you are sick, you are sick, you will become sick. If you start thinking that, oh, as for me, everybody looks down upon me. After a while, you will lose all your self-confidence. Nobody beat you, but your confidence in yourself, you will lose it. Am I communicating the truth? Do you know the reason why poor people are poor? They are the ones who do the biggest of the work. Yet rich people are the ones who get the money. The difference between the poor person and the rich person is that the poor person feels he, he or she is disadvantaged. The rich person feels he has an advantage. So he comes to you and says, do the work. When you finish, I'll pay you. But whilst he's coming, the way he's dressed, you, know, you look at his dressing, who himself was can be. But I can honestly, confidently tell you, most of the time, they don't have money. Go to filling stations, ask their full attendants whether the bakers, when they come, they have money to pay or they credit the fool. You, when you go, they won't give you. They, when they come, just because of the car they are driving, the fool attendant know that they have money to pay. So even if they don't have today, they will pay tomorrow. And do you know what they do? So, oh, that's a major mystica. And he will give you 50 CDs. Watch out, my main coffee's camera. Jimmy number. So, who my car number? Jimmy number. Metiasi. JJJ, my number. How do you frame it? Who my phone? See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Satan, what two phone bear four times or what? With Chiaka. Utrebi, I know I'm 20 CDs. No, I'm all their fancies and a 10. The next time when he comes and he says, Bu 2000, Gume Bruska, you give him. And you go to your boss and talk to your boss that, oh, man, they mean him, obey to you, obey to you. 
The difference is the way they carry themselves. In, in laying a Christian foundation, we need to understand that the word of God is what settles it for us. So that all that will play out from here on out will be based on what you have learned from the word of God. And so, it's so important as believers to understand the foundations of our Christian life. First, you must be born again. Every other thing in the Christian life, it starts with a born again experience. If you are not born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does it mean? You cannot benefit from a life lived to honor God. Someone say, I must be born again. So the born again experience is what lays the foundation of all that you benefit from. The Bible says, where the heart man believes, where the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So number one, I must be born again. When I want to hear from God, when I want God to provide for me, when I want God to advance my cause, when I want God to promote me, when I want God to change my circumstance, first, I must be born again. Why? Because the born again experience brings you into a life of relationship with God. The born again experience. That's what brings you. Without a relationship with God, every other thing about your Christian life, you will not have access to it. A lot of people go to church and they are not born again. They don't have a personal relationship with God. So they drink, they womanize, they do all sorts of lifestyles because they are not born again. The born again experience is what gives you confidence. The Bible says, as many as receive him, to them gave you power to become sons of God. So if you want to walk in dominion as a Christian, if you want to have an upper hand to a supremacy over life's difficulties, you must be born again. Because all confidence in God stems from this truth. That when the enemy is coming against you, you can stand and say, I am a child of God. I am not permitted to struggle. I am a child of God. You can't come against me. I'm a child of God. And when you become born again, the word of God becomes what you submit yourself to. So it is no more my emotions. It's not what I feel or what I think. It is what the word of God says. They invited a pastor to CNN and they asked him a controversial question. Oh, he, he was dancing around the question. He was dancing around the question. Then the Christian faith preachers, the evangelicals, they stood and they started insulting him. They said, so is you only Christians who go to heaven? Oh, God is the only one who knows. And, and the Christian, they got angry with him and said, you're a pastor of 46,000 people. If you cannot stand for God because you want to be popular before everybody and be nice to everybody, then you have lost your faith. Because he says he doesn't know. Why? Because he wanted to appeal to everybody and be nice. You see, God has set his word and has set order by which we must live our life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one comes to the father except by me so if you want to be a christian or if you want to go to heaven jesus said i am the way and as pastors we have submitted ourselves to this instruction that the word of god is that which guides our thoughts the word of god is that which guides our actions the word of god is that which guides our responses to situations the word of god so i don't make the decision based on my emotions i make the decision based on what god has said it may not be convenient but i i live my life guided by what god has said in his word so you know as a pastor i travel a lot i sleep most of the time in hotels and hotels have all kinds of people there they are the waiters who are very nice and beautiful they are the they are receptionists who are amazing then there are people who are also residents in the hotels that you can meet in the lobby who are nice and sometimes when you travel for many days you become lonely and so you start building relationships in your lonely moments you know it's an excuse for you to eat some because all men cheat is that not what they say mm -hmm. but you are not all men the life that you live it is no more you but christ who lives in you so you are making the decision not based on your emotions because maybe you may even be fighting with your wife and it's an excuse for you to or maybe your wife christ is not giving you action and it's an excuse for you to now find action somewhere else or your husband is not behaving well so you are not giving him action can i can i can i preach no, 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 no. You don't give him action because he's behaving well. You give him action because the word of God says, and let the husband render his due benevolence to the wife. So the scripture says, as a wife, you must render your due benevolence to your husband. That's how the Bible calls it. He calls it a benevolence. Due benevolence. Someone say benevolence. Benevolence. What it is is, the Bible says, husbands, love your wife. He says, why submit to your husband? It's not your emotions. It's not your opinion. It's not your excuse. It's not your reasons why you should not. The scripture says, do it. And as believers, we honor our part and God honors his part. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. You see? everybody have your own so now that i've chosen you you are my own so if you are my own you know go feel make somebody else now your own because Charlie, sometimes you can see somebody's wife and the wife is more appetizing than your wife oh is the truth you women be honest with me haven't you met men who are more appetizing than your husband haven't you met men that you wish that that was secretly you don't say it but you wish that I don't even know what made me go and take this mumu guy. <laughs> now, he says, he says, and let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. <laughs> Give me message translation on New Living Translation. Let's break down the English. <laughs> the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife the wife seeking to satisfy her husband 
The marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Ajay. Marriage is a decision to serve the other. Whether in bed or out. Another time when I'm teaching your marriage, we will go there. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death. Yet God goes on to teach us some of the things we should do. Are you, are you getting it now? So he says, there's always a choice. He says, I now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. In other words, all that you will choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So it means that the choices you make affect your children, your children's children to the third and fourth generation. The choices you make as a Christian now has an ability to affect how your children think, how your children behave, how your children act, the choices you make. So one day I was counseling a lady and I said to the lady, the person is separated or divorced, and the man wants to come back. And the child bonds with the, the man. They said, no, no. I said, but you're dating a married man. This one is your husband. He wants to come back. He's apologizing. Your child wants their father. Why don't you kiss? No, 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 no. He said, me too, I have to be happy. I, I, I have to be happy. I, I have to, it's, it's my choice. I, I said, but this one is somebody's husband you are wrecking. You are wrecking somebody's home. And that one is giving you happiness at the expense of your own home. Because that's how selfish a lot of us have become. It's just about us. What we feel, what we want, when we want, how we want it. But the Christian faith is not like that. It's not about us. Brothers and sisters, it's not about you. The choices you are making today will affect your children. Have any of you fought in your house with your wife or you're you are talking and you're raising your voice and your child wakes up and says, hey, hey, stop. You think their children, they don't watch. They watch us. They observe us. Praise the Lord. The way you carry yourself, how you manage pressure, how you manage difficulties, your children are learning. It's not just your children. There are people connected to your life that are learning from it. I don't know how to beg because my mother doesn't beg. And when she was making those choices, she didn't know we were looking at her. Because the Bible says the choices you make today, it will affect your generations. And I pray for you, child of God, that no matter what comes your way, make the right choice because the next generation is looking up to you. You may not have money, but the foundation you lay will build a foundation where the next generation will have money. And there's nothing wrong with going back and apologizing to your wife, apologizing to your children and say, I think I did not do well. All of us will go through difficulties. But the choices we make will either help or destroy. I used to be frustrated. I come to church. A lot of people are not coming to church. I'm wondering, what am I not doing? I'm praying. I'm fasting. Until I started listening to Oedipo and his pastors. They will grow the church to 90. Then it will go down to 35. Then I'm like, ah, oh. It has nothing to do with me. All I need to do is keep sowing. A season of harvest will come. The scripture says, they that carry precious seed weeping. So somebody's holding the seed and is weeping to go and sow. It says they shall doubtlessly come back with sheaves in their hands, rejoicing. So I'll come with the harvest. But how many of you know that you don't plant today and reap today? Hello? Who plants today and the following morning they reap? Has it ever happened before? So in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, the Bible says, 
Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you would learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because brothers and sisters, changing the way you think changes your perspective of life, which in turn changes how you act, which in turn influences what you get in life a classmate of mine the mother died and left so the father was giving him everything the boy said the father was pampering him too much so he wants to be a bad boy he wants hard life he started smoking and stuff like that today i'm a pastor he's married but he's struggling because he did not lay a good foundation because the father was doing alcohol and girls so the boy too is doing alcohol and girls see there is a day that you can see a change in your own life you cannot fight your mother's battle all men are not the same. All women are not the same. That your father did not treat your mother well does not mean all men will not treat women well. So even though you are married, and you see, because of your behavior, your husband too is behaving just like your father. And men, that you grew up with a mother and your father was not there, doesn't mean you should be a whining, complaining husband. So men, oh Lord, aquajro. They will give you excuse. They will never work. It's one story after the other. Why did did it not? No, 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 no. At some point, you must make a choice. That as long as I live, I can do something better for my life. I was speaking to somebody before I came into the service. I said to the person, I am always working. I'm always working. I'm always doing what? I'm a pastor. I'm a founding pastor of a church. Yet I have businesses. I went to learn apprenticeship of how to do plasterboard ceiling. When I was there, a prophet came with his church members. He himself came to learn. Prophet, oh, what do you for? The money, the much. We all eating the same food. We sit down and eat the rice. The, the company give us rice to eat. We all eat the rice. After all, when I finished, I got a job to do for a client. I was owing somebody some money. That one job paid off my debt. Some things is not prayer, it's action. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. God did not create us to be timid in the midst of difficulty. That you are faced with some difficulty, and then you close up and think, say, we need a swan in us. Sister, brother, we need a swan in God cannot do anything in your life if you don't put in the effort. No matter who you are and the experiences of your life, you can only go forward and not backwards. And you must put in the work. When we say amplify, what God is saying is that I've placed within you the capacity to break out and be all I want you to be. Don't put a limit on your life. And your bad experience is not an excuse for misbehavior. As a Christian, there are three foundations upon which you must build your Christian life on. Number one, you must be conscious of God's presence. That's why I said you must be born again. Once you are born again, you must be conscious of God's presence. The born again experience, Lady Irene, is what brings you into consciousness of God's presence because now you're a child of God into 
Amen. I said what? The foundation is what? You must be conscious of God's presence. Number two, you must be conscious of God's promises. In other words, you need to understand that there are promises that God has made available unto you as a Christian. Consciousness of God's presence. Consciousness of what? God's promises. And number three, you need to live by the principles of God's word. One, consciousness of God's presence. Two, understand the, 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 the promises of God towards your life. In other words, you must be conscious of God's promises towards your life. And number three, you must be conscious of the principles of God's word. You live according to principles of God's word. These foundations is what all the other things stems from. The promotion, the provision, the protection, all of these things. This is what it comes from. The providence, the provisions of God. All these things come from it. The preferential treatments, what we call favor. It comes from these three major foundations. Once I am saved, I lay this foundation for my Christian faith. Number one, I must be conscious of God's presence. Number two, I must be conscious of God's promises. Number three, I must live according to the principles of God's word. So principles. I must be conscious of God's principles. I'm going to break it down for you to understand it. Everything we do comes from this. Now, let me give you seven principles of the kingdom of God. Seven principles that you you should live by in the kingdom of God. Number one is the principle of mercy. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The principle of mercy is what got us saved. By grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. It's the principle of mercy. The principle of mercy is what got you saved. The Bible says, whilst we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus came to die for us. So the principle of mercy is what gets you saved. Number two is the principle of love. The scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because you don't know who you are helping and when the person can be a blessing to you. You, you. Are you seeing how the thing is connected? If you have a house help and you don't treat her well, do you know she can kill you and your children? One time. Easy. The principle of love is key to your life hallelujah then there's a principle of increase and i'm going to break it down and teach deeper into it you see please write that the principle of mercy reflects god's mercy today i'm teaching you the principle of mercy it does what it reflects god's mercy so as you show mercy to somebody god he says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy so god wants you to be merciful somebody do something God wants you to show the person mercy. The principle of love. Someone say the principle of love. It reflects God's love. God, God, God. You see, the Bible says we are God's workmanship. Last week I quoted it. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the principle of mercy or, or love is for you to demonstrate the love of God unto many. The Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad among us. So the principle of increase, it reflects God's grace. Give and it shall come back to you. A good measure pressed down, shaking together, running over. But if I don't give, there will be no good measure. There will be no press down. There will be no running over. There will be no shaking together. He said he shall cause men to give unto you with the same measure. So the more you give, the more you receive. I hope you are getting me. So I said the principle of increase. 
Bring ye all your tithe into my storehouse. And prove me here with and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. And pour out a blessing that there will not be enough room to contain. That is a principle of increase. Zechariah chapter 2. He says, verse 1, he says, run, tell this young man, the city shall be inhabited. He said, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. He said, go, tell him that. The scripture that says that, stretch out the curtains, lengthen your cords. So there are things you do, and say, I'm going to go deeper into it and break every one of the principles down. It's the principle of increase. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So if you are not being fruitful, Look at the word, fruit. So you must always be full of fruit. Be fruitful and multiple. So you just, God doesn't just want you to have a fruit. He says the fruit must be full. You must fill the fruit, so you must keep producing. Then he says after that, you move from just being fruitful to multiplication. Then he says after you are multiplying, the other places where there's emptiness, refill those places. It's a principle. Then there's a principle of faith. The principle of faith reflects God as faithful and true. Yeah, the principle of faith. And I've been teaching on the principle of faith. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. So when I say I have faith, but I don't put in corresponding action, the Bible says I don't have faith. My wife shared a story with me. One of the vendors at 31st Vendors came to uh, They were having a conversation, and my wife said, there's a guy they picked. He came from a village. They used to give him my 300 cities. They used to give him, they used to pay him 300 cities. I think a month or something. And when they paid the boy 300 cities, he would tell the boss, Ma, Jehandel Fatu Obama, for instance. She gives the woman some money and lives on the little. At the end of the year, the guy had saved about 2,000 something. Then he, pay, he, he kept doing it. Then when they increased the salary, he increased how much he was giving to them to save for him. He said, recently he was there and the father said, You've gotten some land or something, so you should come and either buy the land or build a house on it. And now he's gone that, please, can I have the money? I'm going. The guy has risen up to become a supervisor now for the company. You see, yet in that same place, there are others who are always complaining. And I boss near and then the boss, they be this kind of, and maybe the principle of faith tells you that there's that which we eat and there's that which we, we save. There's that which we keep sowing and planting faith you so my faith must come with a corresponding action in other words the bible says if you observe the wind you will not sow if you do what so anytime i am observing the wind i don't sow hey this season is not good everybody is struggling so no 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 he says that is the season you keep sowing if you says farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant if they watch every cloud they never harvest ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 so even in your marriage if you are waiting for your husband or your wife to be perfect before you do the right thing you will never be happy is by the principle of it. Principle number five is the principle of authority. The principle of authority reflects God as Almighty. Now, the principle of authority is in twofold. He says that children honor your father and your mother so that thy days may be long on earth. He said, This is the commandment with a promise. So if you want your days to be long on earth. What do you do? You honor your father and your mother. You don't get into your father and mother's fight. You don't get into it. It's not, it has not. See, no matter how your father is, 
Submit. You need a blessing. You know, mothers don't bless. Mothers can pray for you and bless you, but a mother's words doesn't carry as much power like a father's, a father's words. So me, I do everything to secure it. Though. See, it took me four years to leave my former church. I was not stupid. My pastor was a mafia man, but I submitted because I needed a blessing. All I was waiting is to be in a good mood so that when he releases it, after that, when I'm gone, I am gone. <laughs> Hello? It's what? If fathers, you won't get it. Those of you who have issues with your father, go and beg. Then there's the principle of power. Number six principle. The principle of power reflects God as almighty. See, you must know that all power belongs to God. That is why we pray. We pray because of the principle of power. The principle of power reflects God as almighty. The principle of authority reflects God as Lord. The principle of power reflects God as almighty. Sorry, forgive me. The things I'm teaching is very serious. Very, very. See, <laughs> the things I'm teaching today is what has shaped my destiny forever. Mama, let me tell you, there's a secret to sweatless living. If you live by these seven principles, you will break through. In the kingdom, it takes time, but the results are lasting. Yeah. I'm telling you. Number seven is the principle of unity. How good is it for brethren to dwell together? It is like the oil that flows from the head of Aaron through his beard to the skirts of his garment. He says, for there the Lord commands his blessing. The principle of unity reflects God as one. God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. The principle of unity. He says there are three things that best witness in heaven. There are three things that best witness in earth. I call heaven and earth. This day. There must always be a unity of the realm of the spirit and the realm of the natural. There, there must be a recognition of which one plays its role. So what's the unity? He says that we are seated in Christ Jesus. So you and I are joined to us with Christ. Is the principle of all unity. Say how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Psalm 133 verse 1. Go to verse 2. Go to verse 1, King James. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. He's talking about a man in authority and unity. The flow. Look at it. Go to it. As the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So when there's no unity, there'll be displacement. Life doesn't flow. Blessings don't flow. That's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of the brethren. Yeah, the Bible says we should not forsake the unity of fellowship among ourselves. Do you hear the story of the climbing plant and the tortoise and the sparrow. Is it a bird? A sparrow. Yeah. That there was a bird who was singing, and there was a tortoise that was down. And then there was a, a leaf. And the tortoise was telling the leaf to tell the bird to stop singing. And then there was a hunter. How many of you read the story? Yeah. And he said to him, That please stop it. And this one won't say. And he said, because if you don't stop singing, when the hunter comes and kills you, he will use, he, will, he says, if you don't tell him, when the hunter comes, he will kill the bird, he will grab me, 
and he use you the rope to tie both of us. And then he will cut you the tree who you are lying to sit on your branch and go and use your tree to use as firewood to roast us and eat us. When there is unity, the enemy cannot break the camp to come and destroy you. Anytime you are in disunity with your fellow neighbor, it brings problems. It exposes you to demonic attacks. It exposes you for people to come into your space and mess you up. The young men in our church used to, we used to meet to pray. Me, Joshua, and some few guys, we used to meet and pray. Then one of us started boasting, that's for the person, he doesn't sleep. All of us, we sleep. Me, I can be praying. Yeah, don't sleep. So he started bringing misunderstanding. The one person started, started whining. So I, I said, I'm praying again. And this person said, I'm praying again. This is I'm praying again. Then it's scattered. Whatever blessing that was coming on us, whatever growth that we're enjoying as a church, it stopped because disunity among those who stand in prayer. The same thing is happening to our intercessors. They're supposed to be meeting to pray. They don't come. Why? Because Pastor Victor, who is a pastor who must lead them, doesn't have time. He's too big for the young people. He says that, he says that when he wants to travel, they want to stop their prayer. So he won't pray. You see the disunity? Because he will not teach them. They don't know much. Because he's not there. Everybody is not there. And so there's always, and so you come to church and the place is empty. And you're wondering why. Because there's no unity among us. You are supposed to, I'm supposed to fast and pray. Prepare the word. You are supposed to go out there, speak to somebody and bring them to church. You are not doing your part. You expect me to do my part. You are not doing your part. And you are wondering why your blessing is not coming. It's because as long as there's no unity among us, there's no unity of purpose, there's no unity of, 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 of vision, we would all be in level 100. It's called crabology. It's called what? It said that when crafts are in the basket, anyone who wants to go up, the other person will try to climb the other person. And so they will never go anywhere. My prayer for you today is that you will begin to live by these principles. My prayer for you today is that these principles will guide you. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Now, man of God, why do we need these principles? Number one, write this down. These principles work in the believer's life to number one. Bring forgiveness and compassion to people. The principle of mercy. When you start living this principle of mercy, it brings forgiveness to others and it causes you to become compassionate. Number two, by the principle of love, by the principle of love or through love, you begin to have a love for God. When you, when you operate by the principle of love, you begin to have a love for God, a love for your neighbor, and a love for others. So by operating in the principle of love, you begin to have a love for God, a love for your neighbors, and a love for other believers. So with the principle of increase, when you start operating in the principle of increase, you become very generous and you begin to receive more. By the principle of faith, by allowing the principle of faith to work in your life, you begin to have faith in God and his word. By living a life built on absolute trust in god by living a life built on absolute trust in god if god will not do it let it not be done and all of us we need it faith in god faith i have faith I have a relationship with god i know who i am you see it drives away fear act based on the principles of faith 
Things starts working for you. Praise the Lord. Number five. The principle of authority. You see, through submission to God's authority and his word, and by honoring leaders, you come under the full protection of God. Number six. The principle of power. Through dependence on the Holy Spirit, we obey the Lord and he reveals his power in our life. Praise the Lord. The principle of unity. By the principle of unity. That's the last one. Through unity of relationship with God in prayer and worship with others in the body of Christ, we'll be able to impact our world with the kingdom mandate. So this, that which you have learned today, is what you focus on the rest of this year. Live a principle-centered life. Hallelujah. You see, Stephen Covey said something. He said, to be trusted, you must first be trustworthy. If you want God to bless your life, you must first live according to his principles. Wherever you are, I'd like you to close your eyes. You have heard God's word today. You have heard that God has not given you the spirit of fear and timidity. You have heard that God is giving us choice. You have heard that God says that we should not copy the behavior and customs of this world. The world is telling us now that men are not needed. The world is telling us that it's offensive to call a woman, woman. Because of the word man there, it means that you are, men are dominating women. It makes you look like women are fragile. What is wrong with we treating you like you are fragile? Are you broken? You are not. But we treat you with respect. We honor you because the word of God says that we should treat you like that. It says, don't be, I don't need a man in my life kind of Christian. Be a woman who submits to the authority of God's word. God in his wisdom said it is not good for man to be alone. I'd like you to open up your mouth and pray. And talk to the Father in the name of Jesus. And ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you be a Christian indeed. Help you be a Christian who honors God. Who submits to the authority of God's word.